You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Greetings and salutations, listeners, and welcome to episode 218 of You Don't Know Flat. Today is May 17th, 2022, and I'm your host, Rob Flack O'Hara. On today's episode of You Don't Know Flack, we will be talking about a train ride. But before we get started talking about this episode's topic, let's take a minute to talk about the news in this week's Loading Time. Loading Time. Loading Time. Loading Time. Welcome back to another episode of You Don't Know Flack. I want to kick off loading time uh, by mentioning a woman that I had an interaction with on Twitter. Now, I have been talking about vans and van life incessantly, both online and in real life. And I had tweeted out a message about my the last episode of You Don't Know Flack, when, the last two episodes of which I talked about van life, and I had mentioned an article in the New York Times. Now, this article, well, I'll talk about the article in just a minute, but there was a woman who responded to my tweet who said, quote, honestly, this was the whiniest podcast I've heard in ages. Now, I got to tell you, when you get feedback uh, there's all kinds of feedback. There's people that like podcasts. There's people that don't like podcasts. Uh, some people, you know, most people, if they don't like something, you know, they quit listening, they walk away. Uh, but, but social media gives people that, uh, that empowerment to, to really let creators know if there's something they don't like. Now, I'm not really the type of guy to start a Twitter war with somebody, but it did at first it hurt my feelings, but then I was like, well, I don't remember whining about anything on the episode. And so I thought, you know what? I'll respond to it in a humorous way. And I retweeted her comment and said, boy, you should hear the other 215 episodes. They're worse. And I just left it at that. And then a few people responded. Uh, but, but that was, that was kind of where I was willing to leave it, you know? But as I was preparing to do this episode, I thought, you know what would be even funnier is if I could get uh, Miss uh, Spring to call into the You Don't Know Flat uh, hotline and leave a negative review. And there, there's there's two parts of that. One is that I would get a kick out of it because I could put it on the show. It would be funny. Uh, but two, if she had valid feedback, then I wanted to hear it. Uh, if, if that really was the, the whiniest podcast she'd ever heard, um, what, what can I do to make this show better? And so I sent her that message and it wasn't, wasn't mean or rude, but I just said, Hey, if you want to you know do this. And she responded and said that she was confused as to what I was talking about. And when she had mentioned 
that it was the whiniest podcast she was talking about or the whiniest podcast she had ever heard. She was referring to the New York Times article. (laughs) So we had a bit of a miscommunication on Twitter, which is uh, something that can happen in a form of media that's limited to 280 characters. Now, for my in my defense, she referred to the New York Times article as a podcast. Now, I read the article on the New York Times, but apparently the New York Times, similar to NPR and, and uh, lots of other news outlets, records audio versions of their articles and puts them out in podcast format. And so she, even though I had read the article on New York times, but she had apparently listened to it. And so that's why she had referred to it. And her comment was out of context. It was a part of a a tweet chain that wasn't directly to my original post. So there was a little bit of uh crossing of wires there. And I, uh, on Twitter and on the podcast offered Miss Kinder spring an apology <laughs> because I took her comment the wrong way. So I am glad to know that, uh, this is not the whiniest podcast she has ever heard in ages, which is good news for me. Uh, and, uh, it turns out that, uh, uh, Kendra and I have some similar interests and, uh, we're now following each other on Twitter and she's into uh, the van life thing. And, and, uh, so I, I suppose, uh, relationships, not relationships, but, uh, uh, friendships have been made from uh, stranger circumstances, but there we go. So I was, uh, uh, it all worked out in the end. So I'm, I'm glad, uh, I'm glad, you know, sometimes I've seen people, and just just open up what do they say open up both barrels on somebody over a misunderstanding and so I'm glad that I didn't do it that way uh, probably I don't know I, I kind of second guessed uh, even doing it in a, a funny way afterwards but uh, but everything worked out in the end so I'm glad that worked out and I'm glad uh, this podcast wasn't uh, so whiny and I did uh, note the irony that I was had discovered that I was whining about being called a whiny podcast. <laughs> um, and I did tell her that the next episode of you don't know flack would be about preparing humble pie and eating it. So there we'll leave that at that. Uh, next in the news, I wanted to give a shout out to new listener, Laura. Laura is a, a family friend of ours and Laura discovered the podcast and went back and listened to some old episodes, and she handpicked the episode of You Don't Know Flack where I talked about breakfast cereal. And she was appalled that I had left her favorite breakfast cereal off the list, which was Golden Grahams. Let's go to Chunk and see what Chunk thinks of Golden Grahams. This is that I made a noise like this. <laughs> How on earth Golden Grahams could be your favorite cereal? I have no idea. There's no marshmallows in Golden Grahams. There's no prizes. Oh, there probably are prizes in Golden Grahams. But um, uh, I don't remember if I mentioned on that episode, but when I was in, I think, fifth grade, we had a guy visit our school. He was a 
uh, I would say a musician, but he played a lot of, he brought all these different instruments and showed all the, the class, like, you know, a dozen different instruments. And one thing he brought was a dulcimer, which is like a tiny little harpsichord, I suppose, that you play with little um, uh, hammers. And he played a couple of songs and he played this old song called Golden Slippers. And it is the theme song to Golden Grams. He goes, oh, these golden slippers. Oh, these golden slippers. And we were like, oh, it's Golden Grams. So we everybody knew that, but we only knew it as the Golden Grams jingle, which I I had no idea that they had borrowed uh, from another song. So I, I will always remember that about Golden Grams. I'll also remember that it will never be in my top 10 list of cereals. Blah. <laughs> Just giving Laura a hard time. But uh uh, it's always fun to hear from listeners who go back and listen to old episodes, mostly because I rarely, if ever, revisit old episodes and I forget what's on them. So people will ask me a question or make a reference to something, and I literally have no idea what they're talking about. I have to go back and listen to them myself. So that's always fun uh, to get feedback like that. Uh, the last two episodes, 216 and 217, were about van life, these camper vans and stealth camping and all that stuff. And first of all, when I released the episode, I found out I was contacted uh, by the Sharippa brothers, Joe and Steve, I believe both contacted me to let me know that I had somehow magically left 14 minutes of blank space at the end of the episode. And Sean, my buddy from Throwback Reviews, also listened to it and listened to the whole thing, thinking there might be a secret message or something at the end. Um, but what I'd hap- what had happened was I'd left an audio clip at the end, and so when I rendered it, it rendered all that space and then left the little thing that I had accidentally left hanging out there off the end. So um appreciate everybody letting me know. I fixed that like uh, at the end of day one or maybe on morning of day two. So hopefully if you didn't get it right off the bat, uh, but podcatchers are pretty fast. People turn on their phone and all of a sudden it grabs the latest episode. So you don't get a lot of chance to uh, uh, fix things. But I appreciate everybody letting me know about that. One thing I don't think that I talked about on the van life episode, which I think was really important, was because I cut it uh, on the fly and I cut it into two episodes. It was right around the time where I was going to talk about safety things in the van. And now it's been so long. It doesn't. It seems uh, like a moot point to bring them up, but I, but specifically I left out, I believe I left out smoke detectors uh, and carbon monoxide detectors and fire extinguishers in van. So I didn't mean to leave that. I think those are all very important things if you're making a uh, camper van to put inside your van. And I think I mistakenly jumped over that and left that stuff out. So it's too late now. If you built your van based off that, you're not going to have a safe van. <laughs> I hope you listen to this episode and put that back in. Uh, someone else mentioned to me, I've seen a couple of comments on Twitter and this is very true is that once you've learned about van life, you can't unsee these vans on the road. And it's very true. It's just like when you buy a car and all of a sudden you notice the same model of cars on the road, like dozens of other cars that are just like your car. Same thing about van life. The minute that you listen to those episodes and you start looking, uh, I know that I went to go look at a van for sale and the seller told me we arranged to meet at an intersection and told me watch for a white cargo van. And 
while we were waiting at the intersection in the amount of time we waited, probably 15 vans drove by. It wasn't very long that we waited either. So they're everywhere. Once you start looking for them, uh, you just can't unsee them. So every time you go to a parking lot now, I'm always constantly looking at vans wondering, hey, is that someone, is that a delivery service or is somebody sleeping in the back of that thing? Now, if you follow me on social media, another thing about all this van stuff, and we're going to get off vans after after we talk about this for the next 30 seconds, uh, is that I bought a van. <laughs> after the last episode, I was so wrapped up about the whole van life thing, and I've been wrapped up around it for six months, and I bought a van. I bought a Ford Econoline E250. It's a 2007 van. It is a cargo van. Uh, so it has seats up at the front. The front's in really good condition. And then the whole back end of the van is empty. And we have started minor uh, fixes and repairs and started working on the van. So I don't know how long it's going to take. I think it's going to take me a lot longer than it takes other people because I'm not working on it every single day right now. But I do have a van. Now, some people are interested in following that adventure. Some people are not interested in that at all. And so what I am doing officially as of this episode, I actually did it earlier this week, everywhere else is I have divorced all my van content and moved it over to a website called bigrobsvan.com. So you can go to bigrobsvan.com. If you want to follow what's going on with the van build, you can get all your updates there. There is a Twitter account called Big Rob's Van. There is a Instagram account called Big Rob's Van. I've set up a YouTube channel called Big Rob's Van. Uh, actually set up bigrobsvan at gmail.com. So, uh, but everything will be linked back to that original website. So if you want to Follow me and my van adventure as I uh, stumble my way through car repair and van building with help of friends and uh, help from Amazon purchases right now at the moment. Uh, that's where you could get that information. So I'm not going to be talking about vans on every single episode of the podcast or filling my, my Twitter feed or my blog or all that stuff with it anymore. So if you want to find the van stuff, go to bigrobsvan.com. That's where you'll get all your van information. Now, this episode is very unique. I've never done an episode quite like this. As you know, I have a standing offer to my 16-bit Patreon supporters, and that is they are allowed to ask me a question, and I will answer it on the podcast. And so this episode is really two questions from two separate listeners and the first one is not very long. It's longer. It's it's longer than I than um, some of my answers have been. Uh, but the other one is a question that really leads into a story. I don't know that it would be typically long enough for you to know Flack, but I mean, let's face it, once I get talking, it'll be long enough for an episode. So that's what we're going to do on this episode is I'm going to answer these two different questions. The first one is that I thought would be really short, and it turned out to be much longer than I thought. So the first question comes from 16-bit supporter Steve Sharippa, and his question was, he says, I was thinking about how I will routinely quote certain movies or TV shows, not necessarily the same quotes though. Um, 
but also in daily life. So what are the movies and TV shows that I find myself quoting either in personal or professional life? What are some of the common quotes? And then he said, I bet if you start paying attention to it, you will notice it happening. My knee-jerk reaction to this question was, I don't do that at all. I mentioned it to my wife, and my wife said, you do this 10 times a day. <laughs> you are constantly uh, making, you know, quoting movies and, and uh, adding little things. So I didn't uh, realize that I did that. But true to what Steve said, the minute I began thinking about it and listening to the things that I said each day, I found that I do this quite frequently. And so I started tracking over a few days, uh, actually about a week. I tracked all the little quotes and I didn't say all these things during a week, but uh, I, I thought of them all. I mean, these are all things that I do uh, say. And so these are sorted off, sorted out by, um, you know, movie or franchise. Uh, there's a few TV shows, but most of these are movies. So number one, uh, we got to go right to the number one movie. My favorite movie of all time is Star Wars. Uh, there are a few Star Wars quotes that I use on a regular basis. Anytime somebody says, do you know what the odds are something? I will say, never tell me the odds, uh, which is a quote from Han Solo from the original. Um, uh, I was going to say from the original Star Wars. I believe that's from Empire Strikes Back. Um, but yeah, that's one that I say, never tell me the odds. Uh, there's another one when Anakin in Phantom Menace is working on his pod racer and he gets it, uh, finished and he fires it up. And then he does this really strange yell where he goes, it's working. It's working. I do that <laughs> at work. If I've been working on a server and get something, I'll go, it's working. <laughs> and, and people look at me. What's funny is I don't know that people know what most of the quotes I'm saying are from. Mostly they're just for me. And I sometimes I think I say them in the voice of the characters and sometimes I just say them, but I could hear the characters' voices in my head. The other one that I say uh, that is Star Wars related comes from a Star Wars special that I saw as a kid. I've watched this special a hundred times. It was called SPFX. It was the making of Empire Strikes Back. I taped it off of television, and so we had it on VCR or VHS, and I watched it all the time. And Mark Hamill in this special gives a speech. He's talking about how basically uh, Hoth came about, and he says, you know, it's it's fake snow, it's a tauntaun, uh, you know, it, it, on, on, um, saw horses, it's all these things. And then he says this quote and he says, but when the lights go down, which is not part of the say, uh, saying that I say, but he says, when the lights go down and all this, uh, and, and the movie comes to life. And then he says, it's like a miracle to me, even when I was in on its creation, <laughs> I say that all the time. <laughs> Anytime I get, you know, again, something working at work, or, you know, if, uh, you know, I fix a server, I fix a problem, I'll say it's like a miracle to me. And then I'll pause and go, 
even if I was in on its creation. Again, nobody knows what the reference to that is. Uh, and I don't know that anybody's ever asked me, but uh, those are the Star Wars ones. And there are a lot of these. Like I said, this is going to be a, a big chunk of the uh, episode. Uh, next is uh, Indiana Jones. There are definitely a couple of Indiana Jones quotes that I say routinely. The first is from the end of the Holy Grail. When uh, the I think it's one of the the Nazis I, I believe I don't remember if it's a Nazi a German uh, when they find the Holy Grail and they take it outside and they uh, and they drink and then it just kills them they turn to dust and then the uh, Guardian says uh, he chose poorly <laughs> I say that a lot uh, uh, anytime something goes wrong I'll say well he chose poorly. There's also in the beginning of the Temple of Doom when uh, – is it the Temple of Doom? I think I should have wrote down where all these movies are. It's just because I know the quotes. Uh, when he is in the hot air balloon or in the Zeppelin and they get into the uh, – no, 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 no. It's when he's on the train. They're on the train and he throws the guy off. And everybody looks at him like he's crazy and uh, because you know he, he looks like he's the uh, ticket taker or whatever. And then he goes, no ticket. <laughs> so if I see somebody, you know, uh, getting escorted out of something or, or walking away or stuff, you know, uh, you know, that's in a heated thing, I'll, I'll often say that I'll go, no ticket. <laughs> uh, real genius, real genius was, uh, one of my favorite movies, uh, growing up, you know, it, it hit me right at that age. I loved, uh, Val Kilmer's character. Um, I, I loved, uh, Mitch, who's the younger kid. Uh, there's, there's a few different quotes that I repeat pretty frequently from real genius. Um, one is after, uh, uh, Val Kilmer's character, uh, asks, uh, this lady out. She says something inappropriate, uh, if he could perform an inappropriate act and he says no. And then she says, girl's got to have her standards. I say that, <laughs> um, you know, if, if, uh, we're out to dinner or something and, and, uh, my wife will say, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to order that. That doesn't sound good. I'll go Well, Girls got to have her standards. Um, there's also a part, a quote that gets said by a couple of characters. Uh, uh Mitch says it to Val's uh, character and then Val says it back, um, to, uh, uh, Mitch. Uh, and it's about getting revenge, and he says it's a moral imperative. I say that quite frequently. Uh, there's something you know. I'll say oh, it's a moral imperative. I don't. I guess I don't have to say the quote and then say and then repeat it. Me saying, and I guess you get the idea. Um, there's also a part where after uh, um, Vel Kilmer's uh, character has been kicked out of school, he's sitting there and he says uh, he, he's just talking, and, and Mitch says, "What's up?" And he says, "Self-realization." I was thinking of the immortal words of Socrates who said, I drank what? Now, I don't say that whole line, but I will uh, sometimes, especially when uh, some of the nasty pirates are around, like like Jeff or uh, Scott, the guys that also loved Real Genius, uh, they'll come over for our movie night. We'll make a uh, – Jeff will mix up some strangely potent concoction, and I will take a sip and go – I drank what, <laughs> which is a joke that they, they get because, uh, they, they all get that, uh, get that reference. Um, princess bride. Now there's a lot of, uh, quotable lines from uh, princess bride. I didn't, you know, I don't 
walk around saying inconceivable or uh, things like that. But one of the things that I do say on occasion when somebody's leaving or walking off to work, they're they're leaving, walking away from me, I'll say, have fun storming the castle, <laughs> which is uh, what they say when um, the good guys leave. Um, so that's one that I say a lot. Uh, Ghostbusters. Now, this is probably not a quote that you would think, but uh, Bill Murray, instead of cussing in Ghostbusters, he says, Mother Puss Bucket. Now, I must have caught on uh, that. I mean, that, that must have, I adopted that when I saw Ghostbusters. I still say that to, today. I uh, will I literally say that all the time. Mother Puss Bucket. That's a, that's a common one. Uh, Goonies. Uh, there's the scene where uh, Data is setting up traps when the people are, uh, you know, the uh, Fratellis are going to chase them. And they say, what are you doing, Data? And he says, I'm setting booty traps. Uh, I say that, like, I just said that the other day out in the garage. My wife came out and she's like, what are you doing? Because I was putting together all these little tiny pieces. She says, what are you doing? I said, I'm, I'm, I think I usually say I, I'm making booty traps, but I go, I'm making booty traps. And she's like, what? <laughs> then I'll go, that's what I said, booty traps. Uh, yep, that one. And so, uh, again, to circle back around, Steve was right. The more I thought of this and the more time I spent during the week, I thought there is a lot of movie quotes that are part of my vernacular. I wrote this one down. I don't know that I uh, say this one. There are two from the movie Thrashing. This is the 1986 cult classic skateboarding film. Uh, I've, I've seen Thrashing a zillion times. Uh, there is a scene where uh, these guys are setting up a fight. Actually, it's for the joust. They're going to do a, a joust, and uh, the, the good guy and the bad guy are, are going to have a joust. And um, the bad guy points his finger at the good guy. He goes, be there. And then the little brother of one of the good guys says, no, you be there. And then the bad guy goes, you shut up. <laughs> and then everybody laughs. So it's a very quick time. He goes, be there. No, you be there. You shut up <laughs> like that. <laughs> and, um, I, I will say that I always have to be careful with that one because, you know, somebody would be like, I'll be there. And then I go, no, you be there. And then I'll go, you shut up. And it's just like, a, it's habit that it comes out and nobody ever gets that reference. Um, there's also a very funny scene. It's supposed to be a very dramatic scene where, um, hook, who is the leader of the evil skateboard gang, the daggers there's uh, his sister has come to visit. She's very innocent. Uh, they live, all of the daggers live in a giant house full of skateboarders. It's a very silly kind of movie. Uh, it's very kind of, I think West side story is, is, is similar, you know, similar plot. And, uh, anyway, there's a, a scene where, she basically comes in and I mean the sister and she says she wants to go home and it's like supposed to be this dramatic scene. Right. And right in the middle of the scene, she opens a refrigerator and pulls out a gallon of milk and he goes, Oh, and, uh, sniffs it. And he goes, don't drink that. It's foul. <laughs> it's, it has nothing to do with the scene. It's a total weird thing. I don't know if it was improv. I don't know. Uh, but again, you know, if I'm around people, 
uh, that will get that reference, I will do that. You know, uh, when my friends come over for again for the movie night and they'll pick up a beer, I'll go, oh, "Don't drink that." It's foul. <laughs> um, so some of these really only work to the people that also get the reference. Now, uh, I'm going to throw in, uh, you know what? I'm, I've got one written here, but I'm going to move it back down. Uh, I'm going to move it down here to the end. I'm going to skip it for now. Uh, Weird Science, the movie. That was another one along with Real Genius. I watched Weird Science. I had it on tape as a kid. I watched it a lot. Uh there is, uh, you know, it's uh, Gary and Wyatt, and they make Lisa, the, the girl that they bring together or that they uh, form at the computer. She talks about a party, and uh, I think it's, uh, uh, is it Gary? Yeah, Gary's parents, uh, Anthony Michael Hall's parents in the movie, they said, what kind of party is this? And she and Lisa, who's an adult woman, says, oh, you know, it's uh, the normal kind of party, chips, dips, chains, whips. <laughs> I say that a lot. Like whenever we're having a party, Susan will say like, Oh, you know, what do you want to have? I'm like, ah, eh, you know, the normal stuff, chips, dips, chains, whips. <laughs> like it just comes out of my mouth. Um, another thing that I say, normally this is not nice. Um, but if my wife tells me that her stomach is upset or that she's feeling queasy, there's a scene where, uh, Gary's, uh, older brother, uh, is trying to make, uh, no, I think it's Wyatt's older brother is trying to make Gary throw up because they've come home and they're, they're underage, but they've been drinking. And so he's trying to say something gross to make him throw up. And he says, how about a nice greasy pork sandwich served in a dirty ashtray? <laughs> that doesn't come up that often, but I definitely say that. Um, that's, that's just something, a uh, quote from that movie that stuck with me. Uh, next revenge of the ninja. Now, uh, ah, uh, this comes up anytime I talk about ninjas, I think, uh, which is Shokusogi and his famous line, which is only a ninja can stop a ninja. So anytime they say something about, you know, we're watching a movie with ninjas, that line always comes up. Anytime if, uh, I say anytime I'm talking to my wife about ninjas, you wouldn't think that would happen that much, but Hey, it's me. Hey, by the way, that's a movie quote. It's a Han Solo quote. Hey, it's me. Young Frankenstein put the candle back. Um, that uh, gets said a lot. And also the whole bit that uh, Igor does about the werewolf where they're, they're writing. And um, he says, werewolf. And then he goes, their wolf, <laughs> their castle. And then he says, why are you talking like this? I don't know. You started it. Uh, but that, you know, anytime I hear the word werewolf, I'll go their wolf. <laughs> so that's, that's another one. Um, now this is one that I say a lot and I don't even think people realize it as a movie quote. Uh, a lot of people don't when I say it, but it's from the original vacation. And this is when, uh, uh Chevy chase, they have gone to, um, uh, Clark's, uh, uh, the brother-in-law's house, uh, Eddie, and the daughter is stirring Kool-Aid, a pitcher of Kool-Aid with her hand and Chevy Chase for all his flaws had perfect comedy delivery timing. And he, as she is stirring this pot of, uh, or pitcher of Kool-Aid with her hand, he says, can I help you with that? Please. <laughs> it's the please part that gets me. Um, but I say that often and not always when somebody's doing something, but it is normally when I'm irritated, I will say, can I help you with that? 
please. <laughs> That's exactly uh, where that comes from. Um, Susan and I watched Smokey and the Bandit uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, if you know the bandit, or not the bandit, but uh, uh, Sherrod Buford T. Justice, and he's riding around in the car with his son, who is an idiot. Uh, and there are all these funny quotes, but there's one, you know, is there, I mean, the top of the car gets chopped off, the doors of the, of the sheriff's car, the doors get banged off, and then the kid, or the, the son, loses his hat, and he goes... Daddy, I lost my hat. <laughs> That's another one we say a lot. My wife and I both say that one. Um, <laughs> just, you know, if you see somebody, you know, having trouble, number one, like literally if you see somebody with a hat or also if somebody's just having trouble doing something like uh, we <laughs> we were at a uh, convenience store not too long ago and someone kept pushing on the door instead of pulling it, you know, and then my wife goes, Daddy, I lost my hat. <laughs> we started laughing. Um, let's see what else is on here. Um, let's see. Uh, there's a couple that I wrote down here. Like there's a one for Bill and Ted. There's one from Greece. But I don't normally say those things. Um, but here's an entire group of ones I say, and these are all Muppet related. Now, the one that I skipped earlier uh, is from the Muppet Show. It's from one of the closings. You know, the closings. Uh, where it had um, Statler and Waldorf in the uh, uh, the booth, the box seat, and they would always one would say something, the other one would would respond, and then they would crack up laughing. Uh, and there's one that I will never forget. It just made me laugh so much. And, and um, uh, one says, "I've got half a mind to leave," and the other one says, "If I had half a mind, I wouldn't be here." <laughs> and they go, "Oh, <laughs> I say that uh, a lot." Um, we went to uh, my daughter's uh, band performance earlier this week, and, and her band is great. But, but to get to her band, we had to sit through two other bands that were not as great. They were for younger uh, students and not as well-polished as my daughter's band. And uh, after about two or three really bad songs, I leaned over to my wife and said, I've got half a mind to leave. If I'd have mine, I wouldn't be here. Oh, <laughs> and then she hit me right in the arm. Um, lots of uh, Muppet quotes. There are several from uh, my favorite two Muppet movies are the first two, the, the Muppet movie and the great Muppet caper. I, those are the two that I grew up watching. I watched them a million times and the ones that came after that, I've maybe watched once or twice. Um, but those, those were the big ones for me. Um, <laughs> there in the uh, great Muppet caper, which is actually the second movie, but uh, I, I wrote those down first for some reason. Um, there is the song and dance number of the happiness hotel. And uh, uh, it's this rundown hotel that uh, the Muppets are checking into for the night. And in the middle, there's a breakdown and uh, the, the hotel owner says, how are you going to pay for that? And I believe he says, number one, credit, number two, cash, or number three, sneak out in the middle of the night. And Fozzie says, we'll take C. And then the guy says, very popular choice. <laughs> okay, that's what I say all the time. Literally, uh, you know, my wife and I just had breakfast uh, last Saturday. We, we go out on uh, Saturday mornings. We have breakfast. 
And uh, she says, I'll, I'll, you know, I'm going to take the pancakes. And I went, very popular choice. <laughs> so that's one. I mean, that one gets used all the time. Uh, there is a another line uh, from there where uh, there's a part where Lady Holiday, who's a, a real a human being who's acting with Miss Piggy, and a few minutes into the 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 movie, she just explains this entire backstory of what's happening. And Miss Piggy says, why are you telling me this? <laughs> and then she says, it's plot exposition. It has to go somewhere. Okay. <laughs> that is one of the funniest lines. I love that. Um, and because that's exactly what's happening is if you know about screenwriting or storytelling that you have to give backstory, you have to explain what's happening and you have to put that somewhere in your story. And so literally that's what she's saying. She's like, it's plot exposition. It has to go somewhere. It's like breaking the fourth wall. Uh, but anytime I'm explaining a story to somebody or I'm telling them something and they say, why are you telling me this? I go, well, it's plot exposition. It has to go somewhere. And then they're completely baffled by why I've said that, but it's because they say the line that's before that line in the movie. It's like them setting you up, but they didn't know they were setting you up. Uh, there's also at the end, I, I mentioned the happiness hotel number, but they do this whole big song and dance number. It's all the Muppets. It's a, a very entertaining song. And at the very end, it, it ends and then Sam the Eagle opens the door. He looks around and he goes, you are all weirdos and closes the door. <laughs> it's like dead silent. And that's what he says. Now, I don't do it in his voice, but if I'm in the living room, like I'm walking through and my wife is like, hey, look at this. I taught the cat this trick or whatever they're doing, you know, and I will just stare at him and I would go. You are all weirdos. <laughs> I will keep on walking. That's where it comes from. That's uh, a one that I say a lot. Um, back to the original Muppet movie. Now, I wrote this down. It's not often you see a guy that green have the blues that bad. I don't know that I say that that often. Uh, you know, I wrote that down. I can't remember. Like, I didn't say that this week. Um, I have said that before, but I would almost scratch that one. Now, here's one that I do say a lot. Anytime there, there's a, um, a whole shtick where um, in uh, the beginning of the Muppet movie where the, um, the electric teeth uh, or uh, Dr. Teeth and the, electric, and the uh, mayhem, electric mayhem, are playing. They're doing band practice in an old Presbyterian church. And uh, Kermit and Fozzie look in and Fozzie goes, they don't look like Presbyterians to me. Uh, and then late, it gets repeated because then they find a script, a copy of the script, uh, and they, they're reading the script and then they, they do it again. They don't look like Presbyterians to me. They do it a second time. Um, anytime. Like if we're in a mall and I see like a bunch of skater kids, I don't see skater kids, but just like a group of kids or something, I will turn to my wife and, and say, they don't look like Presbyterians to me. <laughs> that That's a pretty common one. Uh, there is a, the big monster. Um, and I don't know what his name is. He's like the big giant, uh, furry monster. And he's working with Milton Berle at the car, um, the, the, um, uh, sales lot. And, 
there's a, a car that needs moving. And Milton Berle says, Jack, Jack. And then he comes over and he uh, is getting ready to move the car. And Kermit says, hi, Jack. And he goes, Jack, not name. Jack, job. <laughs> so Jack is not his name. His job is he is the Jack. And he lifts the car and moves it around. Uh, I, I do say that uh, a lot of times. Uh, it, it Definitely any time that I'm dealing with a jack with a car, I will probably say that. Um, that's a, a, a regular one that gets pulled out. Um, I don't say this as much as I used to, um, but there's the – is it um, Carol Kane who uh, is the lady that has the lisp? And it's a running joke in uh, the Muppet movie where they talk about a myth and they say myth, you know, it's a myth. Like they talk about touching a, a, a frog, you'll get warts. And they go, it's a myth. And then she goes, yes. <laughs> so I used to, anytime somebody said uh, something was a myth, I would go, yes, like that. But um, I don't think I do that one too much anymore. Uh, but another one that is on the list, and it is uh, Dr. Teeth. Uh, and he goes, he says something about... Uh, I don't even remember what the conversation is, but he answers and he goes, too true, too true. Uh, I'm guilty of saying that probably every day. That's, that's one, uh, you know, you know, my wife will say, oh, did you do this? And I'll go too true, too true. Um, that's, uh, most of the Muppet ones that I had. Um, I'll, I'll kind of wrap this up. Um, but Monty Python, uh, now there was a time where, like when I started in IT in my early 20s, uh, for a long time, everybody knew Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Everybody uh, quoted Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I don't think that's as popular anymore. Maybe that's a uh, was a timely thing at the time. But I just don't see a lot of younger people going around quoting uh, Monty Python. But there are definitely two lines from the Holy Grail that get recycled a lot by me. Um, one is when they stumble up on Camelot and the, and two or three characters go Camelot, Camelot, Camelot. And then the guy goes, it's only a model. Um, I'd say that. And I said that last weekend that like we had the big giant moon outside. And, and my wife said, did you see how big the moon, that giant blood moon or whatever? And I go, it's only a model. <laughs> so that gets recycled a lot. And then, um, Definitely, if you get cut or hurt or something and just refer to that as saying it's only a flesh wound, uh, I think a lot of people do that, um, but that that's definitely one uh, uh, that I say. I used to, I don't do this anymore, um, but I used to, uh, one, of the, one of the common ones that I used to do was if, if, I'm trying to think of an example, like if someone said, oh, they were showing me their car and they would say, oh, look, uh, you know, look at the engine on this or something and I'd go, They'd say, this is 400 horsepower or something, you know, and then I would say, no, it's not. You've got coconuts, you know, and they'd be like, what? I'm like, you've got two coconuts. They're tied together with a string. And so that whole bit from Monty Python, but I, I think that one kind of got dropped somewhere along, along the way. Uh, A couple of last ones, Uh, three stooges. There are definitely several things from the three stooges that I say, um, one of the episodes, uh, I used to have a videotape. Uh, there were several episodes, like four episodes that dropped into public domain. So anytime you bought a three stooges tape, it had the same four episodes. It had disorder in the court. And I think harem scare is one, uh, sing a song of sixpence. That was one. 
and so like we when I moved out I had I had one of those three studios tapes and we just watched the same four episodes and we watched the same tape two or three times a night and then you know we did that for a year uh so we knew every line to all those but uh, there's the one where I think it's I think it's harem scare I could be wrong but uh where Larry is um he's cooking and uh uh you know everybody they're like service service and then Larry um he does the thing where he's in the kitchen and he there's a cat in there and it's meowing and uh then it, you know he steps on his tail and it goes Rear! and so they the two guys that are in the restaurant think they're being served cat and dog based on uh sound effects that they heard and so then when Larry comes out they're like sit down and eat and he goes my pleasure and so we definitely say that um but also when he brings the food out he goes hot dog when it comes to cooking I'm the cat's meow <laughs> That gets said a lot around here, uh, especially around dinner time. Uh, and uh, the other thing is there's the, uh, I think it's Sing, uh, no, not Sing the Song of Sixpence. It's the one where um, uh, Shimp uh, has to get married if he wants to get half a million dollars. And they're, uh, Mo and Larry are trying to get him dressed up. And uh, he's shaving. And uh, uh, he, he they, uh, Mo sticks him with the needle and the mirror that ship is holding turns around. So now he's staring at the back and he goes, Oh, I'll cut my head off. I'll cut my head off. And they turn the mirror around and he goes, there I am as pretty as a picture. And then Mo goes, yeah, but ape. <laughs> so, uh, you know, if we're getting ready to go out for dinner or something, my wife will say, how's this dress look? And I'll go, you're as pretty as a picture. Yeah, but ape. <laughs> I don't, I don't smack her, but we say that part. I would clarify that. Um, but uh, that's a common one. Uh, this was not something that I had on my list originally, and then I said it last weekend from Winnie the Pooh uh, when uh, it was uh, bad weather, and I said, tut, tut, it looks like rain. And Susan said, there's another one. And I go, yeah, I forgot about it. I did, forgot that was from Winnie the Pooh. But he says, tut, tut, it looks like rain. I think Christopher Robin says that. Um, the last two on here, um, one is, this is the only one that I have on here from a television show and it was from the big bang theory. Now I was not a huge watcher of the big bang theory. I, I wasn't offended by it or anything. I just, you know, I watched episodes when they were on, but I didn't go out of my way to watch it. Uh, but there was an episode where I believe Leonard was away and a penny was coming over to visit Sheldon and Sheldon began training her through positive reinforcement uh, by giving her chocolates. So when she would come over, she would put her feet up on the table and he wouldn't do anything. And then she would take her feet down and he would go chocolate. <laughs> and he had a box, one of those boxes, like a Whitman sampler of chocolates and he would hand her a chocolate. And then later when Leonard came home, he saw them doing this and he was like, are you training my girlfriend with positive reinforcement? You know, uh, I think maybe there was a gag at the end where she did something bad and he sprayed her with a water bottle or something. <laughs> um, but, um, uh, that is uh, something that my wife and I both found funny. And so uh, if, um, you know, like literally we were sitting the other night, we were sitting at the or on the couch and she said, uh, here you go. And she handed me the remote and I go chocolate <laughs> as if I would be, you know, reinforcing that that good behavior. Um, so that's one that comes up a lot. And then finally, 
This is something I say all the time. Uh, anytime I'm trying to look at something or do something, I will say, let's see what Madam Ruby sees. Um, so, you know, if I'm have a magnifying glass or, or if I'm working on uh, soldering or I'm doing something and something I'm trying to see, I'll say, or, you know, I was just said this the other day, I was helping my son hook up a car stereo. I said, let's see what Madam Ruby sees. That is from Pee Wee's big adventure. That is when Pee Wee Herman is looking for his bike and he goes down in the basement to go see the fortune teller who has the crystal ball. Her name is Madam Ruby. And, um, He's looking for his bike and she turns on the little switch. It's all, you know, she, it's very fake, but she turns on the switch and she says, let's see what Madam Ruby sees. I could probably throw out about 10 different, uh, quotes from Pee Wee's big adventure. That was another big one for me. Very quotable, but that's the one that is stuck, uh, over the years. So those are all the ones I knew it was going to be long. Those are all the ones that I came up with. Um, over the past week. Uh, so let's do the plugs real quick here in the middle, and then we'll get to the other story. Uh, if you'd like to find out more about supporting my show, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara for more details. All my patrons get behind the scenes, blog posts, weekly rando Rob videos, access to the amigos retro gaming discord server and other additional perks. Uh, if you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can always email me directly at Rob O'Hara at robohara.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcasts. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord or leave a message on the podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. Let's move into the second half of the show, which was another question from 16-bit supporter Matt Nicholson. Now, Matt says, I know you travel by road, but have you done any international travel? I also took an Amtrak recently for the first time since COVID. I did take Amtrak once for work instead of flying. Have you done any travel by train? So, I will quickly answer the first question. Uh, the only time I have been out of the United States is on cruises. And, uh, I took, well, I took a road trip to Canada. One time I drove all the way to Edmonton and that's the only, oh, and then, um, on our vacation where we went to Niagara Falls, we went across the border. So those are the only two times that I've actually been in Canada and then every time I've been to Mexico has been on a cruise. We've gone to Cozumel, uh, I think three times and then some of the other ports. Uh, but that, that, um, is basically the only, I mean, and so I don't really think of that as international, uh, travel. I think of that as slightly going past our border and coming back. Uh, but I've never gone on a, a plane, and flown across any of the oceans. I've never done that. Uh, when we retire, we are talking about taking a cruise. We've got some different cruises that we would like to do. There is a cruise that will take you to Easter Island. So we'd like to do that. There's also a cruise that we had scheduled for next year that got canceled, but it was a cruise to take us through the Panama Canal, which I thought sounded very interesting. But uh, unfortunately, that got canceled. So, um, that is really the first part of the question, but 
The second part of Matt's question is, have I ever done any travel by train? So I have absolutely nothing written down from this point forward. I will just tell you the story as it comes to me. But I have taken one trip by train. Um, now, I should preface that by saying that I have ridden trains in Chicago, uh, you know, for like the L, you know, to, to get around in Chicago and, and, um, I, I've, you know, I've done other public transportation in, in Boston and DC and, uh, and lots of cities. So I'm not really talking about that, but I'm talking about a real honest to goodness train. I have only been on a train like that one time. So in 2009, I, had changed jobs and I moved into one of our many security departments. And this security department was called a franchise organization. So what that means is, is that most government agencies and departments get their budget through Congress, which ultimately comes from tax dollars. But franchise organizations work much more like a business. They outsource services and they make money. And based off the money that they make, they can hire employees and, and buy equipment, do the things that they need to do to operate. Now, I had been working as a contractor for several years. I was trying to get a federal job, but I just couldn't find one that was available, but the security department that was franchised because they made their own money, they were hiring people. And so I decided to leave all my friends and leave the job that I absolutely loved and move to this security position, which I did enjoy. I enjoyed working uh, in the security department and, uh, what the job entailed was doing pen testing. Now, I think I've talked about this on a previous episode, but it's been many, many years ago. But essentially, pen testing, if you're not familiar, or penetration testing is uh, trying to essentially break into a computer network. And then but you're hired to do this. And the ultimate goal is to then provide a report and details about what was successful, what wasn't successful. Now, for a government agency, you really wouldn't want to hire a third-party person to do this because how do you know that you could trust that person with all your secrets? Because whoever you're authorizing to do this test is going to know everything about your network. Um, some tests are performed with credentials, so you may have to give a person an account to do certain things. So it, it can be uh, questionable, uh, you know, depending on who you're doing business. So this department I moved into worked out great because it was a federal department, but it was also a franchise organization. So that allowed us to do security pen tests for other government organizations that weren't related to us. But because we were doing it, they knew that we were federal employees, that we had gone through security background checks, that we had gone through training. We weren't just, you know, some guy who downloaded some tools and were just running random tools against their network to see what would happen, that we were doing it, you know, in a, a, a safe, 
uh, and uh, methodical manner. Uh, one of the other things you have to do when you're doing these pen tests is you have to agree on rules of engagement. So you'll say, for example, I'm allowed to do ABC, but I'm not allowed to do DEF or XYZ. Um, so there were some that I did where I was supposed to test both the network security and also physical security. Like, you know, could I get into, get into the building? Could I get into places where I wasn't supposed to be or authorized type places? Um, so it, it was a very, very interesting job and I really uh, enjoyed it. And I learned a lot. I went in knowing a lot. I went in with a lot of information, um, but not necessarily the polish, <laughs> uh, to do that on a professional, um, on a professional level. And so, um, most of the organizations that we were doing pen tests for were in other states. Uh, very few, none of them actually that I did were in Oklahoma. Uh, so there was one in, um, uh, if you've ever heard of research triangle, I believe that's in North Carolina. I did, uh, some work there. I did some work in uh, Chicago. I did some work, uh, just several different cities around where I would travel and go do these security uh, pen tests. But I, would not say that I'm afraid to fly. I would say I dislike flying and I will avoid it at all costs. Um, so if I could drive somewhere, my rule now is that if I can drive somewhere in a day, I will drive there over flying. But my rule used to be if I could drive there in a couple of days, I would do that versus flying. So I had these trips, like when I went to North Carolina, that was, that was more than a one hour drive or a one day drive. So it gets complicated and it's not really important to the podcast, but essentially you, the government, when you're, when you're taking a trip like this, they will look at what is the cheapest way for you to travel. And that's as much as they'll pay. So you can't say, well, I'm going to rent a limo <laughs> and take me across the country. They're, they're not going to pay for that. They're going to say, Hey, a flight from point A to point B is $200. We'll give you $200. Anything else that you spend to get there is on you. Um, so, it, so I had a boss who did not approve of the way I was traveling. Now, the government says that I could travel any way that I want. <laughs> the government says I, I have the – it's my decision if I want to drive or if I want to fly or however I want to get to a destination. But he saw that as a waste of time. Uh, now and, – and by the way, it it this took up no comp company time. So like we were always given Monday as a travel day. So if I was going to North Carolina and that was a two-day drive – I would drive the first half on Sunday on my own time and then stay at a hotel on my own dime and then get up on Monday when everybody else was flying and I would finish the drive and arrive in North Carolina. A lot of the people uh, that I worked with didn't know that I had driven. Um, but at a lot of these uh, engagements, uh, rental cars weren't approved. And so I had my own car. I could go do what I want. I could go sightseeing. I could do things. Um, so it, it worked out for me, but it really stuck in this guy's craw that I was driving and he essentially confronted me about it and said, I don't want you driving anymore. And I said, well, if all due respect, it, that's my choice. And he says, well, with all due respect, I don't want you doing it. And, um, uh, <laughs> 
it, it kind of became a standoff, right? And so the next trip I had come up was to New York City. Now, New York City from Oklahoma is a long drive. I mean, that's a long two-day drive. We're talking probably 24-hour drive. So that would be two long 12-hour days back-to-back. Um, but uh, maybe maybe longer. I think D.C. is, is 22, 23 hours. So New York City, you know, uh, it, regardless, it was going to be – it was a long drive, and I didn't really want to do it. Um, however – I really didn't want to give this guy the satisfaction <laughs> of saying I couldn't drive. And so I began to look into how could I go from Oklahoma City uh, to – I'm going to type this in while I'm typing here. So I'm looking now at a schedule to get uh, from Oklahoma City to New York City. Um, the It says – to get from Oklahoma City to New York City, you would leave Oklahoma at 8.35 a.m. And you would arrive at New York City at 4.50 p.m. But what it doesn't mention is that uh, there's a whole day <laughs> in between those two times. <laughs> that... <laughs> It's not eight thirty or eight uh, thirty in the morning on uh, day one, and then uh, the next one on day two. Uh, they they leave that detail out. So when I looked at taking a train from Oklahoma City to uh, Penn Station in New York City, the first step in that is to so. In case uh, you're not familiar with the geography, of course, Oklahoma City is uh, uh, Oklahoma is just above Texas. We are in the middle of the Midwest, the heartland, if you will. And New York City is a straight northeast. Uh, you know, it, it's more east than north, but uh, northeast uh, straight straight line. So the first part of the trip when I looked into it was. Get on. There's only one train in Oklahoma City, and it only goes to Texas. It is the Heartland Flyer. So the the trip that I looked at was get on the Heartland Flyer in Oklahoma City, and then immediately go to Houston, which is I believe about an eight hour drive straight south. It is exactly the wrong direction. <laughs> It's that's that's a bad start to a train trip is to go eight hours in the wrong way. And then you've got to sit down there and wait uh, for the next train. It was like three or four hours. And then another train picked you up in Houston and took me straight back north to Kansas City, Missouri. And then I switched trains there and took a train to Chicago. And then I took a train from Chicago to New York city. I mean, that was, that was the plan for the trip. Right. And that seemed terrible. <laughs> so I began to think, you know, what I could do is I could just drive to Kansas city and leave my car there. I could get on a train and then take a train, but there was some sort of delay between there and Chicago and there was something going on. And so what really made the most sense, and by the way, none of this makes sense is to drive to Chicago, which is a 12-hour drive, and then take a train from Union Station in Chicago all the way to Penn Station in New York City. Uh, so that was uh, 
that's ultimately what I did. Now, my I have uh, all my dad's relatives live in Chicago. So that was my plan. I was going to drive to Chicago, leave my car with relatives, hop on the train at Union Station, and go straight across uh, to Penn Station. Now, I believe that this plane ticket was going to be like $300. So, you know, if this trip cost me less than $300, I'm good. They're going to pay for it. If it cost me more than $300, then I was going to be out of pocket uh, the cash, the difference. A first-class ticket from Chicago, and now this was at the time, and this again, this has been about a decade ago, uh, but a first-class ticket from Union Station in Chicago to Penn Station in New York City was $130. Now, that was one way, but $130. It was so much cheaper than flying. So I said, I'm going to do it. I think this is going to be the adventure of a lifetime. Now, right around 2009, I had bought a netbook and I had just bought the second generation of Kindle. So I loaded those things up with me and I drove to Chicago. I spent the night there with my grandma. I had a lovely visit with my grandma and my aunt and uncle. And the next day, my aunt and uncle drove me to Union Station and dropped me off. So here's where the adventure begins. I walk into Union Station. I don't know what to expect. I've never been on a train station. I walk in and there is a fountain inside and there is a guy basically taking a bath. And I thought to myself, Rob, what have you done? (laughs) He don't look like a Presbyterian to me. I thought I have messed up. I have made a really bad decision. So I went to the front counter and the lady says, yeah, where are you going? Something like that. And I give her my name, my ID, and she immediately changes her tone and says, oh, Mr. O'Hara, first class one way, going from Chicago to New York. I go, that's me. She's like, okay. Well, here's what you're going to do. Uh, we're going to be uh, boarding in uh, you know, a little over an hour. So um, we're going to, you know, once we get you set in, we're going to take you over to where you, you sit. You're going to wait for a little bit. And I go, okay. Now I'm looking around this, the middle of Union Station, and it's like people that are scaring me. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why they're not being aggressive or anything like that, but I, I'm just like, I'm, I feel like I might be in the wrong place. And so I'm looking around like, where am I going to sit for the next hour and a half or something? And then the lady says, this guy right here will show you to the waiting room. And I went, okay. And so he walked me down a little hallway and into a room and it was like, the waiting area of a first class, like people that were first class airline passengers, like if they had their own private waiting room. I rem- what I remember the most is that there was a free pop machine, uh, like an actual soda, you know, dispenser, uh, and it was free. So I remember getting a drink and sitting there, and uh, I was like, okay, th- this isn't so bad. And then they came in and they made an announcement over the loudspeaker, and they said. 
Uh, it's going to be, you know, one hour until boarding time. We're going to be boarding at 6 p.m. So everybody, uh, one hour till boarding time. And then after they were done with the announcement, the guy, there was a guy, he came over and he said, uh, not us. Uh, we're boarding at five. All first class passengers are boarding at five. We're going to the dining cart. We're going to do wine tasting. There's going to be cheese and a meat tray. And then we're going to get you all to your rooms and settled in before we let the rest of these animals on. <laughs> you might have said animals, but, but that was the gist of it. Like, no, no, no. We're not waiting till six. We're going now. And so as I went to go get on, uh, I do remember that I went down to the dining car uh, and was making small talk with a person. I didn't really didn't want to be in the dining car, to be honest with you. But another guy that uh, worked on the train, he said, hey, by the way, if you don't want to hang out here, you can go right to your room and we'll just bring you snacks and a bottle of wine. I was like, are you serious? Again, this is for $130. Like... I mean, I have gone on Amazon and bought $130 worth of movies just because I was bored. <laughs> Not lately, but you know what I mean? Like $130, I'm getting some pretty nice treatment for $130. So I uh, go back to my room. The guy brings me a bottle of wine and a little thing of ice. He brings me a little tray with cheese and meat. And he's like, listen, we're going to have, we're going to be doing dinner at seven or something like that. And then they said, you could come down uh, and order food at the dining car or here's this little pad of paper. And they had like check boxes and stuff. And there were a bunch of them. And he said, pick out whatever you want. You could check all the stuff you want to eat and just hang it on the little clip outside your door. And then we'll come bring it. We'll knock on the door and you can have it. I said, are you kidding me? He's like, yeah, no, all food was included in a first class ticket. So for first class ticket, not, I'm getting, and I'm getting ahead of myself because I got my own private room. I got a bottle of wine. I got cheese. <laughs> That's worth something. And a meat tray and all the food that you want to eat and all the drinks. I was like, oh my gosh. So I go to my room. Now this room, I've never really done a good job of describing what this room is. So let me really try, but I'm going to say this room is probably five foot wide by seven foot long. Let's say it's five foot by seven foot. Um, if you could imagine like a McDonald's booth, I mean, obviously longer, you know, seven foot from, from end to end. Um, but, a but I don't think I could spread my arms all the way out. I'm pretty sure I could touch both the left and right side of the room. So, and, and your arm span is basically the same as your height. I assume people know that if from fingertip to fingertip is roughly the same as your height. Uh, so I don't feel like I could stretch my arms all the way to the left and the right. Uh, now imagine that there are four chairs facing each other. Uh, up against the wall. Now there's not, but imagine that's how it's laid out. What in reality, 
the side that's closest or to the outside of the room where the window is, there is a single width seat on each side. So this is a room for two people. So you would be sitting and you would be facing somebody on the other side. Uh, There was a table that folded down from the wall. uh, And so I had a little table there where I could sit and use my laptop or eat my cheese, whatever I wanted to do. Now, the other two where, where there could be seats, one was a storage area where you could hang your, your coat and put your suitcase, like a little storage area. And on the other side was a toilet and a sink. Now there's a lot to be said about, um, boys and, uh, trying to be accurate when they're standing and go to the restroom. Have you tried it on a moving train? <laughs> this was more of a sit down option <laughs> because, uh, uh, yeah, I was really afraid of, um, of things going awry. Uh, but you know, it was a, a toilet. There was a little shower curtain, like a little privacy curtain that ain't much privacy. I'm just going to say, if you're two people in a room, you better be pretty good friends. Uh, because I may, you wouldn't be able to see the person, but there wouldn't be many secrets between, uh, those two people. Now the two seats that faced each other kind of it, uh, rolled each seat rolled down almost like, a. Oh, like those roll top desks. It was almost like that. And each side rolled down and came together to form a bed. So the two seats folded down and came together in the middle to form a bed. And then above me was a second bunk. And so you could climb up on the second bunk. So it did sleep to people as well. Uh, I did not. I mean, again, it was just me in my room by myself. So, uh, once we started going, my, my biggest memory is of being, uh, having a hard time staying awake because I found it to be so comfortable and so relaxing. I think some people don't enjoy the noise. Of course it was all new to me. Um, but the noise and kind of the, the rhythm of the train slowly rocking back and forth and the, and the click, clack, click, clack, you know, the kind of sounds and stuff. I mean, it was all new to me. Um, but I found it very, very relaxing. So I remember trying to watch movies on my, uh, netbook and I tried reading on the Kindle and I just kept falling asleep, you know? Uh, so it was, uh, uh, I mean, I found it to be very relaxing and very enjoyable. I had, you have the, um, air conditioner controls like what you would find in an airplane. So you could twist the little knobs and it blew cold air. Um, I, didn't personally, I mean, I had the windows open so I could, or the, uh, uh, curtains open so I could see out the window. Uh, I didn't feel claustrophobic. I, I just had a, a really great time. And then when I got hungry, I would just take the little piece of paper and write ham sandwich and some chips and a slice of chocolate cake and a side salad and whatever else I wanted and put it on that little clip. And then five or 10 minutes later, a guy would knock on the door And I would open the door. Uh, It was like a sliding pocket door. I would open the door and he would be gone and the food would be sitting outside my door. Absolutely fantastic. This is when I go chef's kiss. It was perfect. Absolutely loved it. Uh, I don't remember for a fact how long it took, but um, I guess I could uh, on the same webpage, I could type uh, 
try to find out a, a trip that goes from um, uh, Chicago to New York. Let me try that. Um, but uh, uh, it, it was totally relaxing. It was totally enjoyable. Uh, I was treated like a king. Uh, well, I don't see it on here, but um, I definitely, it was, hmm, I want to say that I left around dinner time and then I arrived the next day after lunch, around lunch, somewhere around that. I mean, so, so that, that gives you an idea, right? Maybe 18 hours, somewhere around there. Um, but like I said, it, it, it was so enjoyable that it just wasn't, uh, um, it just wasn't an issue for me. I really enjoyed it. So I have talked about my trip in New York city on other podcasts because that is the week. First of all, I spent it in this, um, uh, federal building. I probably shouldn't disclose who specifically it was, but I was on the, I believe the 23rd floor of this, uh, very tall building, uh, in New York city. I was pretty close to where the world trade center had been. And you could see they were still doing the construction on the memorial. When I was there, you could also see the, uh, Hudson and the people I was working with pointed out that they had seen, uh, Sully and crash his plane. And it was right there next to where we were. So, that was uh, pretty exciting, and I had a good week. And also, that is the week that I hung out with Grandmaster Rat of the Cult of the Dead Cow, who gave me a personal tour of New York City. We walked so much over two or three nights. I can't remember, but uh, we walked from my hotel, which I stayed a block away from Chinatown. I was in uh, Soho. I was on Houston. I stayed, actually, I stayed at a Holiday Inn on Houston Street, which I said Houston and was immediately corrected. Um, but, uh, so I, I, that's around the area where I stayed. We walked from there to, and we went to Broadway. We went to Central Park. We went to Rockefeller Center. We went to, we took the uh, ferry uh, by Staten Island. I mean, we covered so much ground. Went to Wall Street. I mean, I had never been to New York City and uh, he, I always, anytime that I talk about that trip, I think about the time that I got to spend, uh, with, uh, should I call him Mr. Rat? <laughs> um, he was just very, very generous with his time. And, uh, we were casual friends online, but he just really went out of his way to, um, you know, entertain and show me the city and we, we I, I just had the, the time of my life. It was just really excellent. We had a great time. We took a, a million photos of the city, uh, of he and I together, and, and getting to see the FAO Schwartz and going to Times Square. We, went, we were eating pizza on a work night. We were eating pizza at Times Square at 1 in the morning. Uh, just a, a really, really fantastic trip. And then it was uh, the end of the week and it was time to go home. And so I packed up all my stuff. I went back to the train station. I got on the train and headed back to Chicago, back towards Chicago. 
I would say uh, I had, I don't remember what phone or maybe I had brought my, I might've just per No, I had just purchased my, um, I had a, a DSLR camera, which I still have. And unfortunately gets very little use. Um, but I had this camera and I was so excited to take pictures along the way on my route. And what I found was when you are close to the train station, there are a lot of buildings with graffiti and bridges with graffiti. And then there's a lot of nothing across America. If you've driven on any kind of long road trip, you know that there's a whole lot of nothing in between the cities. And that's what I saw on the train. I have literally a couple hundred pictures of trees and landscape. I mean, where there's just literally nothing. And I don't know why I took so many and I don't know why I still have them, but I do. I remember taking a nap at some point and waking up and we were stopped and I looked at the GPS on my phone and it said we were in, uh, believe Cleveland. And that was not a city we were supposed to be in. And that was not on my route. So I began asking questions. Now I will say one thing about my trip is that they would make announcements, but you could not hear the announcements in your room with the door shut. So, sometimes I found myself propping my door open just so I could hear the announcements. But apparently what happened was there had been a, um, I don't know what you call it. A train car had rolled over and spilled coal. So there'd been an accident on the, uh, on the, the railroad tracks. Now what happens is, is that none of the uh, train companies like Amtrak and these other companies, they don't own, the tracks, they, they lease them and they, they, uh, have to schedule these trips. So if there has to be a change, it takes a long time and you will have a delay basically is, is, uh, uh, the gist of it. And so we had been rerouted through Cleveland and I want to say it added seven hours onto my trip. Now here's the reality. I'm sitting in a first class room with air conditioning, with Wi-Fi, a laptop and a Kindle and a guy bringing me chocolate cake. Like I got nowhere to be. <laughs> Seven hours is nothing. Uh, my car is sitting at my grandma's house. I am not pressed for time. When I get there, I will go home. That it, That's all there was to it. So I wasn't in any rush. And uh, so they, they were apologizing. And when we left, the... Uh, I'm sure the guy has a name. I, I just want to call him like a, it's not a bellboy. Like tra- I don't know. I don't know what the term is, but the guy, the porter uh, came by and gave me this little piece of paper and said, I was supposed to call a number and do something. And he said, this would get me a voucher for another free first class ticket. So basically they were, they weren't refunding my ticket, but I was getting a whole nother ticket because of the inconvenience. Again, uh, if you're going to work, let's say you're getting on your, your morning drive, you, you wake up and you go to drive and you get stopped in traffic and you're stuck for seven hours. That's, that's a problem. That's relative to your trip. That's a pretty big problem, right? But I was on a train trip that was going to take 13 hours or 15 hours or something. So adding seven just wasn't that big a deal. It wasn't like I was, you know, strapped to the roof in the blistering sun or something. I was in my own room. 
I had a half a bottle of wine left. Like it was just not that big of an inconvenience. Now, if you were trying to connect to a, a plane or you're trying to get back to, to, um, you know, meet somebody at a specific time, I get it. It, that could have been an inconvenience. And that is one of my takeaways of, you know, I've only been on a train once and that happened. So maybe that's not very common, but for me, it's 100% of the time it happened. I don't think it happens a hundred percent of the time, but it's definitely a possibility, right? So, uh, that was one takeaway. I would say, uh, I, I don't know that I would do it if I were in a hurry, but boy, did I have a good time. Uh, there's been a lot of talk of them adding a high speed, rail system between Oklahoma city and Tulsa, which is a two hour drive. But they're saying they could add a, uh, a high speed rail that would get you there in an hour. So you could actually work in Tulsa. You could, you could commute each morning and take this train. Uh, but it would also open up, you know, shopping and a lot of things like that. I, I think that would be fantastic. I just really, really had a good time. I found it very, um, I think you have to go in with certain expectations if you're going to take a trip like this. Uh, my expectations were mostly what I had learned from the Three Stooges and them riding on trains. So I went in with well that and, and Murder on the Orient Express. So my expectations were pretty low. Uh, I didn't have three guys on a bunk above me fall on me, and I didn't get murdered. <laughs> oh, Silver Streak. That would be my other point of reference. <laughs> Gene Wilder. Um, so... Yeah, I I, uh, I had a, a really good time. Like I said, it was really relaxing. I think if you go into it with that expectation of it's going to be a a slow and relaxing kind of trip, then uh, I I think you would enjoy it. I definitely uh, enjoyed it, and I would like to do it again someday. That wraps up another episode of You Don't Know Flack. If you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can email me directly at Rob O'Hara at RobOHara.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Robcast. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord or leave a message on the podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. If you'd like to find out more about supporting the show, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara for more details. All of my patrons get behind the scenes blog posts, weekly rando Rob videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and other additional perks. The audio versions of You Don't Know Flack is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and the RSS feed, which can be found at podcast.robohara.com. To hear more podcasts from me like Sprite Castle, Cactus Flags, Throwback Reviews, Multiple Sadness, and Like a Doss, visit podcast.robohair.com for links and information about these shows. Congratulations. If you made it this far, you now know a little bit more about Flack. Now you can wave goodbye to my caboose. Finally, this podcast would not be possible without the support of Patreons like these. Thanks to my 8-bit supporters, Alan Hennessy, Alan Hudgens, Armadon Restel, Brian Barr, Carrie Clanton, Chris Folds, C. Dubs, Cowbird Boy, Dan Paradroid Heavey, Daniel Jaleppa, Dave Velociraptor, David Hearn, David Modelak, Eric Stranisi, Extent to the Jam, Gabe DeGenero, Garrett Allier, Gary Heather, Hacker Radio, Jake Nonamaker, Jason Warns, John Treholt, Jose Cazada, Joshua Eckroth, Mark Alley, Matthew Parron, 
Mike McLaughlin, Mitsuyama, Mr. Bundy, Nathan Dagenhart, Olaf Hope, Patrick Markey, Petzl, KZ9Zap, Rad Max, Rydar and Christopher Bow, Retro Trace, Robbie Ray, Robot Doctor 82, Scooter Prime, Scott Lambert, Scott Meredith, Scrap Arcade, Stephen Burt, Steve Rasmussen, The Slow Norris, Travis Gussie, Zeke Pabsky, Zerfall, and The Mysterious Cobra Kai. Extra special thanks to my 16-bit supporters. Bill Spear, Boar's Head Tavern BBS, Dan Creek, Dave Zilly, Drone Doctor, Edward Smith, Graham W. Vebke, Joe Sharippa, John Morrison, Matt Nicholson, Matt Smith, Paul Nermix Nermanen, Rick Reynolds, Scott Von Dresit, Steve Sharippa, Vintage Volts, and Mr. Wacky. 